It's lastchanceart.com podcast. Seven messages to help you establish your relationship with Jesus Christ. Beginning in Genesis 37:32. Stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilbah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. That which should tell you that Joseph was a tattletale. Okay? Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children, which was a sin. Everybody look up here. Dad created the problem with Joseph. You see that? Dad had turned this kid into a tattletale and had shown him favor over the other children. Now, uh, since we do have mostly adults here and we have kids, most of us have kids, sometimes it's very difficult to be impartial. And, of course, your kids know how to divide you like nobody else. You ever notice that division always occurs when somebody takes somebody's side? That's how the devil divides the church, too. He'll put an issue in the church, and then he'll get you to choose a side. And uh, that's how he splits church and divides them, and et cetera, et cetera. And everybody wants you to agree with them. Well, Joseph, being the punky little kid that he was, his dad had trained him to tell on his 11 brothers, or at this point, 10 brothers, because I believe that the youngest brother, uh, Benjamin, was not uh, old enough to tell on yet. And uh, I think that Dad used him to keep the other ones in line. Now, this caused a great problem for Joseph, okay? Number one, the first problem that it created in Joseph was that having his dad make him treat him different than the others began to create in his mind and in his soul pride. That's what it created. And it started right at home with kids, you know? And so Joseph... um, became kind of a distasteful kid because of the way that his parents had raised him. And uh, I remember one time, and let me just stop here, I remember one time I had a friend, he had seven kids. And uh, the oldest one was adopted. And uh, I was over at his house one time, and here was these six other kids underneath the seventh kid. And the seventh kid, I think at the time, was uh, eight, maybe nine. And... uh, the dad came out and he yelled at the kid, the oldest son, because the other six kids were going nuts. They were going crazy. And they were misbehaving. And he says, I told you to watch these kids. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, this dad is an idiot. And so um, I had been discipling this guy and, and I said to him, hey, buddy, i got a question for you. I said, that little boy of yours, that nine-year-old boy, I said, did he decide to have six kids, or did you? And he looked at me, what do you mean? I said, well, why are you yelling at him for what them other six are doing? He's not the dad here. The truth of the matter is you're just too fat and lazy to get off your butt and go outside and see what your own kids are doing. And you want your boy to watch him. And what you're doing is you're making his life miserable, where he will, not, he will look forward to the day that he can escape being a parent. Amen? I just threw that in for free. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now, the reverse can be true where, let's face it, when you get up there in ages, in age, uh, you tend to get better as a parent. 
none of us are perfect parents. I mean, if your kids are the best kids there ever was, and, uh, you know, there are just some guys and girls who have the knack. Have you noticed that? They got the most obedient kids. Remember the, remember the lady who came up and taught homeschool to us that time? The black lady from Chicago? She came up here, and them kids sat like church mice in that front row, didn't they? We were all so impressed. I thought to myself, my boys never would have done that. They'd have been doing cartwheels and writing on the walls and shouting and hollering and running. I'd have been after them. You know what I'm saying? That's the way my two kids were. And, and I was not a, a perfect parent for sure, you know. I did the best that I could, you know. And sometimes I didn't do the best that I could. <laughs> but the, the, the point is, is that this parenthood thing, you tend to get better at it, at it as time goes on. The, the number one thing that happens to you is that you tend to relax after you've had some problems with your oldest kids. Now, I'll tell you, my oldest son put me through the mill. I'll tell you, he really did. Nobody can get to you like your kids can, you know. And uh, people that don't come to the Lord will eventually find out that, that if they don't serve God the right way, neither will their children. There's no way. There's just no way. And, of course, my two, you know, my two boys, you know, I tried to do the right thing and tried to get them into Christian school and Bible college. You know, I tried to, you know, and, and, but they wanted to make their own way. I'm actually proud of them that they make their own way. I'm not necessarily always proud of them the way they live spiritually. But then, you know, that's between them and God. At some point, you gotta, they got to walk on their own. But sometimes the devil will beat people up because their kids don't turn out perfect. And I want you to know, it really has so little to do sometimes with the parents. It has a lot to do with the children themselves. And here's little bratty Joseph, okay? And uh, this kid is basically kind of a monster. Now, you never thought of Joseph that way because he's always been preached as the role model. But Joseph did not begin that way. And let's go on here. And uh, no, no, Jacob or Israel loved Joseph more than all his kids because he was the son of his old age. In other words, Joseph was cute. Um, just let me say one more thing about this, is that if you let your children stay children for too long, they will become ugly. In other words, if you want your child to be a two-year-old the rest of his life, that will become repugnant to everybody else. And what you're doing is cursing that kid to having poor relationships as they grow up. Because what you've done, we always use the word spoiled them. And I'm not sure that's the right word, but it is kind of a form of abuse you want to really think about it, is that when we take kids and put them on pedestals and give them attention and turn them into comedians and showcases and stuff like that and how pretty they are, how handsome they are, how smart they are, I mean, really, that's not going to introduce humility to your children. Everybody say praise the Lord. <laughs> I think I'm on a good topic here. Um, and don't believe me, I'm not a perfect parent. Didn't I say that? Amen. My, my boys took years off my life. I know they did <laughs> He's the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of colors. Now, notice that word many is italicized. I want to just preach today that there was two colors in that coat. Now, many of you are thinking, well, that coat had 12 colors. Now, where did you get that idea? Maybe Steven Spielberg gave it to you in The Prince of Egypt. Okay? And uh, you're thinking of all the colors. But I think there's just two colors in this coat. You know? And... Uh, and when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him. Now they hated Joseph. I don't think they hated their dad. And they could not speak peaceably unto him. Dad created this problem, didn't he? Joseph 
was the problem. Now let's go on here a little bit. This, this uh, story of the coat of two colors has a lot to do with dreams. It's, Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brothers, and they hated him the more. Now, the reason they hated him the more was because this kid had a tood, as my wife says. He had an attitude. He had a tood. His tood was, when he told him his dream, he, he tells him about the sheaves and, and how one day he's going to rule them. Amen? Now, when God gives a dream, that dream, do you dream in color, by the way? That dream can have two colors, okay? And the first color that that dream can have is it's all about you. <laughs> Amen? It's that pukey green color. It's all about you. Probably the most misunderstood thing, or God is probably most frustrated with us as Christians, is that we never really understand what He is saying to us. Now, how many of you are good at remembering names? Okay, there's a couple. How many of you are bad at remembering names? Most of us, aren't they? Now, how many of you are good at remembering faces? Oh, how many of you are bad at remembering faces? One, okay. You notice that most people are good at remembering faces? but they're bad at remembering names. Why is that? It's because God has designed us to talk to us in pictures. That's why. You, a picture will communicate to you much greater than, than, than a name will or a sound. So the visual, we are 85% visual. So we don't remember names, okay, but we are very visual, so we cannot forget a face. And my guess is that the deaf and their visual is so acute and so accurate that they probably remember more through their eyes than, than the hearing do. That's my guess. I don't know that. That would be my theory. So God communicates to us in pictures. Have you ever noticed that the first written languages of, human, of humankind were in hieroglyphs, pictographs? The picture tells the story, doesn't it? Well, Joseph, the, the issue with him was when he had this dream he completely misunderstood it. Because when he first got the dream and the promise of God, it was all about Joseph, wasn't it? You know why they hated him? He says, when he had that dream, he said, basically, they got the idea, you're going to rule over us? Because he, that little turd had already been ruling over them. You know how he did it? Dad, you know what Dwight's doing? My little brother did that to me all the time. And you know what I'd do? As soon as dad was gone, I'd pwn that little guy. Yeah, pwn him, pwn him, pwn him, pwn him. Any of you had a little brother? <laughs> oh, I tormented him. But, uh, you know, then he, what he'd do is he, we, we had to share the same bed out in the prairie, out in the middle of nowhere. And we had three bedrooms in our house. My two sisters shared a bed. My brother and I shared a bed before my little baby sister came along. She wasn't part of the family. And then my mom and dad had a bedroom. We had three bedrooms upstairs. And it was cold on the prairie. And at night... My little brother would do things like this. Oh, 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 oh. He'd be hitting himself. Oh, Dwight, stop it. Oh, Dwight, stop it. In would come my dad and grab me. We will leave him alone. <laughs> now, <laughs> that's pretty funny, isn't it? That's the kind of kid Joseph was. <laughs> so, <laughs> his dad had created this self-centered universe about this boy's mind. He was going to be a lawyer, doctor. He was going, he was so handsome, this kid should be on the picture of GQ. 
magazine every week. What could possibly go right with this kid the way his dad had raised him? And so God had a problem with this boy. The next thing that happens to Joseph in his life is his brothers, you know, say, you know, can't stand this little guy. He, he controls us through dad. So they're out tending the sheep or the oxen or wherever they're tending. And you know the story. Joseph is supposed to go tell dad what they're up to. So he runs out wherever the field is, a couple miles out, maybe 10 miles out, finds them all right. And they must have been doing something wrong. Don't you think? They had to have been doing something wrong. He snuck up on them, and maybe they were smoking. <laughs> I remember the first year. Anybody ever smoked besides me? Oh, yeah. I was six years old. My brother and I, we used to walk along the street, and we'd pick up cigarette butts and put them in our pockets, and they'd bulge. And then we, we would smoke. We wouldn't inhale them or anything. And we we come in the house one time, and... And my little brother had forgot to empty his pockets. He's about four years old, and they're just bulging these little cigarette butts. And uh, my dad says, what you got in your pockets? And the first thing he says, well, Dwight's got them too. I had nothing in my pocket. You know what? My dad put us upstairs. He says, you boys get up there. I'm coming up, and I'm going to give you the belt. Oh, the belt. Listen, didn't hurt me, really. So you know what we did? We had some, we had some books in our bedroom. We would stuffed them in our pants. And, and, you know, six and four years old, you know, we got them books stuck back there. Your dad comes up to give you a good beat, and he sees those square, sees really, we were literally SpongeBob and SquarePants. <laughs> Bend over. Take it like a man. And, of course, then he'd see that book back there. He couldn't hit us. You know, my dad really was not, it was hard for him to spank the kids. My mom found it very easy. I don't know what it was. That's the kind of kid Joseph was. You know, he was always telling on his brother. And he caught him doing something wrong. I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were drinking. Maybe, they were, maybe there were some girls out there. I don't know what they were doing. But they said, you know what? He's going to go home and tell Dad, let's take that two-colored coat off him. Let's strip him of his coat, the Bible says. And they put him in a pit. Now, if you are in the church long enough, God will take you through a test called the Joseph test. In that test, there's going to come a time in your Christian walk. Now listen to me. There's going to come a time in your Christian walk where you're going to get stripped of your maybe your ministry. Maybe you're going to get stripped of your reputation. Maybe you're going to get stripped of the respect that you used to have in the congregation. And your brethren will throw you in a pit. Now, I want you to know that this test is from God. And if you serve God long enough, this test is going to come your way. Now, if it hasn't come your way yet, hallelujah. But remember this day. You see, what God is going to check out is, what are you made out of, Joseph? You were special. You know that honeymoon period you come in when you get saved. Everything is white and glorious and rosy. You love Acts 2.38. You learn about the oneness of God. Everybody needs to know it, don't they? But then the flat spots set in. You know, it's level, it's level walking field. It's not, it's neither uphill nor downhill. And sometimes you can't feel the presence of God. You know what I'm saying? And then along comes this test. And God wants to find out something about your character. He really does. God, I'm, I'm convinced 
that character means more to God than how many souls you win. I am. You know, I, th I think about, uh, I'm preaching my next message, but, you know, the Mount of Transfiguration at Mount Tabor. Who stood with Jesus on that mountain? Moses and Elijah. You know, there was a greater prophet than Elijah in Israel. His name was Elisha. He had, he had a magnified manifold. He had a magnified anointing in his life, much more than Elijah did. He raised people from the dead. So what I'm trying to say is that there was some quality about Elijah that God saw that gave him the privilege of standing in front of the pillars of the church, which was God's greater revelation. And God's greatest work is the church. He got to see these three pillars of the church. There's Elijah. You know what I'm saying? Character, character, character. You know, a lot of people will define character as what you do and who you are when nobody in the church is watching. Okay, let's put it this way. A little lady one time, she, she came up to me and she says, I wish you pastors would quit preaching about them standards. You know, and I don't know, you guys know me. I don't preach about it that often, do I? I mean, man, I don't feel like I have to. Rarely does God give me a sermon. When God moves me to preach on it, I'll preach on it. You know what I'm saying? Um, standards is a reflection of the inward man. You know what I'm saying? And everybody grows at a different pace. Amen? And, uh, uh, you know, there are people that, that sometimes do not make any progress with the outward. And let me tell you something. The outward's important to God. If you know anything about Him, it's just as important. But the inward is much more important. God works there first. He does His best work there because God knows if He's ever had got a chance of changing the outward, the inward's going to have to change first. But I have found people that they will focus on the outward and ignore God's work on the inward because they're really interested in being accepted by the church, not by God. You know, I want to walk among you because it becomes more or less a lifestyle of tradition, even in Pentecost. But God, he likes to work here. That character thing. Joseph had some character flaws. His daddy helped him get them. And so here he was down in this pit. And for the first time in his life, he's down there calling, Dad, help me. Can you, can you picture that? You know what? Dad was nowhere to be found. For the first time in his life, Joseph was on his own. And it was time to grow up. So his brothers being the guys that were that they were, hated them. Somebody, they didn't hate them enough to actually have them killed. There was a debate and they didn't do it. And uh, they sold them out. They sold them to the Ishmaelites. He ends up in Potiphar's house. When we go on, we read on that all of a sudden Joseph gets another test. Okay, He gets a test of being falsely accused. You see what God's doing with this guy? He gets falsely accused because he was always the kid that always did everything right. And now he's falsely accused. His brothers throw him down the pit. And now he gets the false accusation test, and it lands him in prison. And it was Potiphar's wife said, Well, this guy was trying to, you know, was trying to assault me, and Potiphar had no choice. I don't think that Potiphar believed his wife, but she hadn't spoken publicly. Of course, we don't know any of these things, you know, it's possible. And so Potiphar has to do something, whether he did it deliberately or maybe he was actually angry. The Bible does say he was angry. He puts Joseph in jail. So Joseph is down there being falsely accused. 
Now, another test that a Christian is going to get if you are in this thing long enough, and I hope we all finish until the rapture blows, the sound of the trumpet, is that you're eventually going to come across with a false accusation about you. And it will lock you up in a prison of isolation in the church. Somebody will come into the pastor and say, Pastor, did you know so-and-so is rebellious? They've been talking against you. Now, the Bible says, Receive not an accusation against an elder except by two or three witnesses. So if you're an elder, I'm going to be looking for a second witness. And even if you're not, I'm going to be looking for it. Amen? But you shouldn't receive one either. Amen? So-and-so said this about you. You know what I'm saying? What can happen is that you can end up in a prison of false accusation. And the question is, what about your character? Now, instinctively, I don't know about you, but a lot of us are programmed to fight when we're pushed. Aren't you pro programmed that way? I mean, I have uh, my wife and I, and I love my wife. Now, she hadn't been happy with me for a couple of days, you know. You're, and she was sniping at me every once in a while. And she'd just dig in a little bit. I thought, I thought she'd just get over it, you know. And, yeah, I wasn't the most considerate guy last week. You know, there's things I could have done differently, and she's sniping at me. Well, this goes on. She snipes at me for two days. I'm at that threshold where nothing else can be absorbed. And I'm going, Oh, man. Well, then we didn't talk for 20 minutes. The point is this. Each of us have a breaking point. You know what I'm saying? We really do. And here's old Joseph. He's falsely accused, and it's really on him. And what God wants to see, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to blow up? You know, what, what are you going to do? And so you can be falsely accused in the church of something. What's going to be your attitude? It's an important topic, isn't it? Because it's going to happen to you. So your brothers can throw you in a pit. You can be falsely accused and find yourself in prison. Now, God knows something about Joseph. These are the two tests that he needs to change his character. They are. And so, sitting in prison, finally coming off the pedestal of pride, we have a new color that's introduced into Joseph's life, which is the color of humility. And all of a sudden, Joseph realizes it's not all about me. And two guys show up who have a dream. This is all about dreams. And Joseph's attitude is interesting. We need to read this. His attitude about their dreams has changed. And uh, Genesis 40, verse 8. The butcher and the baker and the candlestick maker said to him, But they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, I pray you. You see the difference in his attitude? His attitude was, it's not, it was no longer all about him. So he heard their dream. And if it was all about you, all of a sudden that interpretation of that dream could be, well, God's going to exalt me, God's going to do this, I'm going to be this, you know what I'm saying? But he says, the interpretation now belongs to God and not to me. Sometimes we're like that when God talks to us. We put our own spin on the news, on the message. When we really have missed what God is trying to say to us, because we want to cloud it with that color of pride when it comes into our ears. Can you say amen? And so when God gives Joseph a dream, the dream was about him delivering his brothers, not about him ruling his brethren. 
It was about him serving his brethren, about him preparing the way for his brethren, not about him exalting himself and being over his brethren. But what had happened is that when God spoke to Joseph, Joseph had colored the voice of the Lord with the color of that pukey green pride. But here we see a difference. Now God has become the interpreter of the dream. There's a change in his character, and that change is humility. And it's red, crimson as blood. That's the second color. And so God, having seen that statement out of Joseph's lips, he immediately goes over to Pharaoh, who was an African man, and says, Pharaoh, I'm going to give you a dream of seven fat cows and seven skinny ones. And he gets the dream, and he's... God didn't forget about Joseph because now Joseph had become capable of fulfilling the original dream through humility. And sure enough, the second color of the dream was crimson red. And, and Pharaoh needs an interpreter. Joseph comes. He says, God's the interpreter. He gets the interpretation. And he said, we're going to have seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. You need to be prepared, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, who's as wise as you? I'm going to exalt you and put you over my whole kingdom. And you know what Pharaoh gave to Joseph? He gave him some new garments. You know what? That old coat was gone by this time. It had been left in that pit, hadn't it? Because Joseph had the wrong colors going. And he got these new Egyptian garments, and God exalted him. Now I want to tell you one more thing. Joseph had become a slave, okay, to give him some humility before he could be used by God. Did you know that there's a law about the Hebrew slaves in Deuteronomy 15? Did you ever read it? It said that a Hebrew slave could be taken into slavery or a bondman for six years. And then on the seventh year, they had to be set free. Amen? We are bought with a price. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. The slave doesn't decide. You get to do what you want to do. No. See, the, the slave, the bondman, does not get to make those decisions. You see, the green, pukey pride says, Oh, no, God, that's not what I want to do. What I want to do is I want this ministry to be all about me. God says, you got it all wrong. You're the bondman. It's all about me. What you're going to do is you're going to go where I want you to go. And so for six years, God puts us through the paces of humility, breaking us and saying, this is what I want you to do. God, I don't want to be a nursing home ministry. God says, hey, that's what I picked for you. I've got a plan. God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go out and outreach. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to work the altar. I don't want, you know what I'm saying? And all of a sudden, God says, okay, these six years you belong to me. I paid for you. And that was the concept. I paid for you. But in the seventh year, you were set free. Now, here's the thing. After you receive the Holy Ghost, okay, we're free, aren't we? And at any time, you can stop being a servant of the Lord. But here's the deal. That when you come in to be a bondman for Jesus Christ, He'll give you your clothing. He'll give you your meals. He'll give you promotion, increases, jobs. He'll give you a wife. He'll give you all these things. And then at the seventh year, you're free to go. You can stop serving Him at any time. But just remember this. And he'll give you relationships, great relationships with a family. But remember one thing, that if you decide to go, you've got to leave all this stuff behind. It don't belong to you. You've got to leave your peace, your righteousness, and your joy behind. 
And you can be free. But if you enjoy serving at that master, let him put a little mark in your ear and stick around. Amen. Thanks for listening to LastChanceArc.com, a seven-message podcast series to help you establish your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you.